This is Alan Johnson, pastor of Old Peachtree Presbyterian Church in Duluth, Georgia. The Bible is God's Word. It describes itself as living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Therefore, any encounter with the Bible is a momentous thing because it never leaves us unchanged. My prayer for you as you hear this message is that the Holy Spirit will use it in your life to inform your mind, to feed your soul, and to help you grow in your faith in Christ. Please turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 20. Matthew 20, we're looking this morning at verses 17 through 19. Matthew 20, verses 17 through 19. Hear the word of the Lord. And as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem... He took the twelve disciples aside, and on the way he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified, and he will be raised on the third day. Let's pray. Our Father, we turn to your word, not the words of Matthew first and foremost, though they were his words, but first of all, your word, because your spirit inspired these very words that we read. And Father, we pray that as we read them, as we study them, think about them in these next few minutes, that we would see Jesus, we would see who he is uh, in all of his glory, and we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Passover in Jerusalem, an annual event in the life of the Jews, an opportunity uh, to experience the holy city in all of its bustling best and worst. And for most Jews, it was also the opportunity to make a road trip, travel to the city from the surrounding lands. These trips were generally happy times, uh, often visiting with fellow travelers. After all, there was safety from bandits in numbers. And singing or chanting or reciting the Psalms of Ascent, Psalms 120 through 134, uh, each one reflecting on some aspect of the trip they were making, this pilgrimage to Jerusalem, or uh, reflecting on the splendors of that city that they sought. Well, Jesus, of course, had made the Passover trip to Jerusalem many times, both as a child and as a man. Uh, We only have uh, one glimpse into an early trip to Jerusalem. In uh, the end of Luke chapter 2, he describes a trip to Jerusalem with for Jesus with his parents when he was 12 years old. And you recall, uh, that was the time they were, they were leaving and they realized Jesus was not in their group as they were traveling. And they went back and for three days couldn't find him. You imagine. Three days. Well, they finally find him in the temple hobnobbing with the teachers and religious leaders who were all very impressed with Jesus' insight and with the answers that he had, the understanding. That he had. Well, in our text today, Jesus and his disciples are going up once again for the Passover feast in Jerusalem. 
Now, it didn't matter where you were in Palestine. It was customary to speak of going up to Jerusalem, which uh, on the one hand reflected its geography. It was uh, higher in elevation than the surrounding countryside, but perhaps more importantly, going up to Jerusalem because of its spiritual significance. And so, as it's said here twice, they were going up to Jerusalem. However, this time Jesus' heart was anything but festive because he knew all too well what lay ahead in Jerusalem this time. And that's the point. Jesus knew what was going to happen in Jerusalem, and yet he went anyway. Because there was no other way for you and for me to be saved. Because he loved us, because he wanted to save us, Jesus pressed on toward Jerusalem and the death that awaited him there. Now, as we look at these three short verses, they tell us some significant truths about that death that Jesus was going to endure. It tells us in the first place that traveling up to Jerusalem would mean for Jesus a certain death. A certain death. Now, this isn't the first time, and especially if you've been with us in this series of studies in Matthew, you know this isn't the first time that Jesus has told his disciples what is going to happen. Back in chapter uh, 16, Jesus explains in verse 21, from that time on, he began to show his disciples he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed, and on the third day be raised. And then again in chapter 17, verse uh, 22, 23, Jesus says to his disciples, the Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. So they, they understood this, right? Well, apparently not, uh, because the first time Jesus told them, Peter argued with him. He begged to differ and began to explain to Jesus, no, this absolutely was not going to happen to Jesus. The second time we read they were greatly distressed, And even here in this passage, uh, it doesn't say anything about their not understanding. Luke gives us a little more detail, but certainly the episode that follows indicates that they really did not fully understand what was going to happen. It was, in fact, the third time Jesus told his disciples, although there are some details here that he had not yet disclosed. Now, Jesus recognized going to Jerusalem meant a certain death, not just a possible death. Not just even the probability that he might die, but that going to Jerusalem meant that he certainly would die. You can contrast that uh, with what Paul says in the book of Acts, chapter 20. Paul was headed toward Jerusalem. He had the collection he had taken from that Macedonian Christians in Asia Minor, a collection for the relief of believers in Jerusalem. And he's on his way, and he meets in chapter 20 with the elders of the church in Ephesus. And in verse 22, Paul is speaking to them. They've gathered. They've come out to meet with him. He's just passing through, but he does meet with them. And in Acts 20, 22, he says, Now, behold, I'm going up to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, 
except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And so he says that I go, I don't know what's going to happen, except in general terms, I know that suffering awaits me, whatever city I go to, wherever I go. And then later, in chapter 21, verse 10, Luke writes, while we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea, and coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, thus says the Holy Spirit, this is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, what are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart, for I'm ready not only to be in prison, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. So even there, a prophecy is given that, in fact, turns out to be true. Uh, and yet Paul continues. But even so, until that happened, he didn't have absolute certainty that that would, that would happen. Maybe Abigail was wrong. Maybe he wasn't a true prophet after all. So Paul says, I go not knowing what will happen to me, and then having perhaps a clearer idea what may happen to him. But Jesus went to Jerusalem knowing full well exactly what would, with certainty, happen to him when he was there. Not merely a possible death, but a certain death to come. And you know, the amazing thing is Jesus knew that. I mean, he called it. And as you know, of course, it happened exactly the way he said it would. We said earlier, Jesus is in the confession. Jesus is a prophet, a priest, and a king. As a prophet, Jesus makes known the will of the Lord for us and for our salvation. But also as a prophet, Jesus was held to that standard that Deuteronomy 18 sets forth that what a prophet says must come true 100% every time, or he's just speaking his own mind. He's not speaking for the Lord. Well, Jesus gave what would happen in detail, and as you know, it happened exactly the way he said it would. It points to his deity to who he is as God. After all, the prophet was right because God had revealed that to him, not because he could foresee it himself, but God had revealed what would happen to him. And so ultimately the truth about what would happen in the future was coming from God. Well, this points to Jesus' deity, that Jesus as God knew in fact full well in detail what would happen to him in Jerusalem. So it means a certain death points to Jesus' deity to know what a human being could not know. Traveling up to Jerusalem not only meant certain death, in the second place it meant a humiliating death. Look at uh, again at what he says in verse 18. The Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. In the first place, he would be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes. Uh, those words have the idea of betrayal. In fact, you know that's exactly how he was delivered over. One of his own twelve, one of those who had been among his closest associates for the past three years of his life, was in fact the one who betrayed him and through a prearranged signal handed him over to the Jewish authorities. He says that he would be condemned. They will condemn him to death. 
indicating a judicial sentence, indicating legal proceedings that would result in his condemnation. He says they would deliver him over, in this case not so much betrayal as merely handing him over, he being in their power, at least humanly speaking, over to the Gentiles. Now this is the first mention of the role of Gentiles, specifically the Romans, uh, in the events surrounding Jesus' death. He mentions that he will be given over, apart from the Jews, to the jurisdiction of the Gentiles to be mocked. As you know, Jesus was mocked, and it's astonishing how, uh, how Psalm 22 so accurately and vividly describes the mocking that Jesus would experience. Now, you know that Psalm begins with the words, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And Jesus says those words on the cross. Well, he just knew those words anyway. Well, yes, he did. It wasn't, it wasn't a fulfillment of prophecy so much that he said those words as it was Jesus using those words to refer to that psalm, to draw attention to that psalm, even as the events described in that psalm were taking place. By referring to that first verse, which was not only a reference to the psalm, but that cry of the agony of his heart, he was drawing attention to that psalm for those who had ears to hear. See, what this psalm describes is being fulfilled before your very eyes. Now, Jesus quoted the psalm because he knew it. There were those who were standing around who were mocking Jesus, unwittingly saying the very words that were in the psalm. He claims to be the one loved by the Lord. If the Lord loves him, let him come get him. He claimed to be a king of the Jews. Let him come down from the cross. The spitting, the jeering, the mocking that took place. And even the other details, the casting lots for his clothes. I'd imagine those Roman soldiers had never heard of Psalm 22, let alone knew what it said, and yet they cast lots for his clothing. Exactly as the psalm said. The mocking, the flogging, being whipped, uh, flesh being torn skin being injured, the beating that he endured. It's all right there. It would be a humiliating death handed over to the Gentiles. The mocking, the rejection, the scourging, all of that. Jesus knew when he was going to Jerusalem, he faced a certain death, but it would not be a quick and easy death. It would be full of humiliation. Third, Jesus knew that traveling up to Jerusalem would mean an excruciating death. And crucified. That's the first reference Jesus gives to the mode of his death. The previous uh, two times he mentioned this, he merely said he would be killed. But here, Jesus gives his disciples this detail of how he would be killed. And it was not a happy bit of information. Crucifixion was, of course, humiliating, part of his Humiliation, typically uh, contrary to visual depictions, uh, the victim was crucified naked, no clothes on, pinned up on the cross before everyone to see, to mock, to scorn, to uh, stare at. Um, But it was more than humiliating. It was an extremely painful mode of death. 
I chose the word excruciating deliberately. It comes, our word excruciating comes from the Latin word excruciare, which means to torment, to torture. And that Latin word has as its root the Latin word crux, cross. You see, the very Latin word for torture, for torment, is derived from the word for the cross. It was an exquisitely designed instrument to inflict the utmost pain possible. And yet, the true pain of the cross lay not in the body for Jesus, but in the soul, where there he, bearing the sins of his people, would experience the torment of the wrath of his father. You see, Jesus knew when he was heading up to Jerusalem, he was heading up to a certain death. He was heading up to a humiliating death. He was headed up for an excruciating death. But every time Jesus mentioned what would happen in Jerusalem, you may have noted, he ends on a note of good news. And he will be raised on the third day. Each time Jesus mentions the suffering to come, he also mentions the resurrection to come. He will be raised on the third day. Because you see, it wasn't just a certain death, humiliating death, excruciating death. It was also a victorious death. Victorious death. Now, maybe Jesus just got lucky. I mean, he knew the authorities were not happy with him. He knew that uh, things were sort of beginning to reach a boiling point. Maybe he just took a shot and got it right. He knew that going to Jerusalem, things would be, he won, he would be there in their midst, uh, an opportune time to seize him. Things would be at a, at, a, at a peak in terms of Jewish pride, in terms of zeal for the faith of their fathers. He knew in many ways he was a wanted man, and there was risk involved. Maybe he was just taking a shot. Well, you know, when we go, I'm going to be arrested, and uh, the Jews who can't put anyone to death under Roman law will have to hand me over to the Gentiles to do that, and they're going to do me like they've done many other prisoners. They're going to mock me. They're going to flog me. And I've seen how they've cru- the Romans crucify, and they're going to crucify me. Maybe he got it all right just by reckoning on the circumstances. But... Who in his right mind, merely able to read signs of the times, would then say, and oh, by the way, I will be raised, and not only raised, I will be raised the third day after I'm killed. Nobody. I mean, if you're just trying to reckon the circumstances, if you're just trying to sort of forecast what looks likely to happen, your own resurrection from the dead isn't among the circumstances you would be counting on, or even guessing at. And yet that's exactly what Jesus said, because he wasn't guessing. As we've said, in his deity, he knew precisely what was going to happen, the bad and the good. The resurrection was not an optional part, not just a happy thought uh, after Jesus was crucified. It was an essential part of our salvation, an essential part of God's plan for our redemption. Romans 4.25, Paul says, Jesus was delivered up for our trespasses. And he was raised for our justification. It wasn't enough for Jesus merely to die. 
Because if he had remained dead, you and I would have remained dead. But he had to be raised on the third day. Little children, when you come before the session and make your profession of faith, yes, say Jesus died for me. But also say Jesus was raised for me. Because it's not just in his death, but in, your, in his resurrection that Jesus accomplished your salvation. As Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, as Christ, Christ is still in the grave, then we are still in our sins, we are lost, those who have died before us are lost, and we're preaching lies if God has not raised Jesus from the dead. But, in fact, God has raised Jesus from the dead. Jesus died for our trespasses. He was raised for our justification. Well, that's it's important for a number of reasons. One, it means God the Father vindicated Jesus before people, before this world. You see, men judged Jesus worthy of death. God reversed the verdict. Peter says as much in Acts chapter 2. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God, on the other hand, raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. He vindicates Jesus. He also shows his acceptance of Jesus' sacrifice uh, for us, his death for us as a substitute for sinners. And, of course, Jesus was, to use Paul's words, the first fruits of the resurrection when they would bring a harvest in. The very first fruit, the very first grain that was harvested was called the first fruits. And it kind of gave them a hint of what was to come. Well, Jesus is the first resurrected. And as such, he is the guarantee. He is the promise of much more to come. Namely, your resurrection, my resurrection, when Jesus returns on the last day. So for all of these reasons, the resurrection was essential that we died with Christ and we have been raised to new life with him. And every time Jesus said what would happen in Jerusalem, he also said he would be raised from the dead, raised on the third day. So Jesus was going up to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. The difference this year would be Jesus himself was the Passover lamb. Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians 5, For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. So what does this mean for us? Well, Jesus is a welcoming Savior. Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and all of you who are heavily burdened, and I will give you rest. Come to me, he says. We should come to Jesus. We should believe in Jesus and follow him, because for him, going up to Jerusalem meant a certain death, And he went anyway, for you, for me. We should believe in Jesus and follow him, because for Jesus, going up to Jerusalem meant a humiliating death. And he went anyway, for you and for me. Because going up to Jerusalem meant an excruciating death. But he suffered it anyway, for you and for me. We should believe in Jesus and follow him, because going up to Jerusalem meant for him a victorious death. He was raised on the third day, proving that he was who he said he was and that every claim he ever made about himself was, in fact, true. You see, he predicted everything here in detail, and it came true down to the last detail. You know, in other places, Jesus said that he's coming back. 
that he's coming a second time to judge the living and the dead. Do you believe him? So far, he's batting a thousand. The question really isn't so much, do you believe him? Is the promise of his second coming true? The real question is this. Are you ready? Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this, these verses. Thank you for the magnificent truth they contain. Father, we pray that in meditating on them, that our hearts would be moved with adoration for who you are. With thanksgiving for what you have done. And for faith in Jesus, that it all might be ours. We pray in his name. Amen.